This is the Engineering Career Coach Podcast, the only podcast dedicated to helping engineers succeed in work and life. The show is hosted by engineering enthusiast Anthony Fasano and Chris Knutson. Both are professional engineers who found success early in their careers and now work together to help other engineers do the same. Now it's showtime. Hello, this is Anthony Fasano, and this is the show for engineers who want to succeed in both work and life. In today's episode, we're going to get into the very important topic of ownership in an engineering firm. I'm so thrilled to have Jonathan Vogel here with me. He's a consultant who works in financial acquisitions, mergers for engineering companies. I'll give you his full bio in a few minutes when we get into the main segment. But he gives some amazing questions that you need to know and you need to ask your firm if you want to become a partner in that engineering firm. I mean, I've coached hundreds of engineers and I've never even thought of some of these questions. Brilliant. So excited to have Jonathan on the show. So we're going to pretty much jump right in here. One of the things I do want to mention is we did rebrand our engineering community a bit and we're actually rebranding a little bit more. We're getting it back to what we really wanted it to be when we started it, which is a mastermind group. So if you join the community, we're going to put you inside of the community into a small group of engineers that you can work with and kind of be accountability partners and really get to know these people and kind of make lifelong partners and friends in your engineering career. And that's really going to propel you. So that's something that we'll talk more a little bit about as we move on here, but we're thrilled about it. And we kind of got away from it and we were doing a lot of webinars and, and content. And really that's what the main website's for. The community is for building trusted connections. And, and you're going to hear more about that as we move forward. I'd also like to just take a moment to recognize our sponsor for today's episode. If you're thinking about taking the FEP or SE exam this year, I recommend that you check out PPI, the leader in engineering exam preparation. For a special 15% discount, use promo code COACH at ppitopass.com forward slash coach. Again, that's PPI, the number two, pass.com forward slash coach. And use the promo code COACH at checkout for a 15% discount on your order. All right, now I want to give you a quote related to today's episode, and then we'll jump right into the interview. Ambition is the path to success. Persistence is the vehicle you arrive in. And that's from Bill Bradley. Let's get into this main segment of the show. All right, now it's time for our main segment of our show today. And for today's main segment, we have a very special guest here, Jonathan Vocal from Rusk O'Brien Guido. We're going to get into partnership. And if you're a millennial, if you're one of these younger up and coming engineers and you really want to become a partner, we're going to really dive into what that looks like, what that whole process looks like based on an article Jonathan wrote. But before we do that, let me give you a little bit of an intro about Jonathan. Jonathan joined Rusk O'Brien Guido in 2011. With over 10 years of corporate financial advisory experience, he has worked with more than 100 architecture, engineering, and environmental consulting firms across the U.S. and abroad in all facets of mergers and acquisitions, valuation, ownership transition planning, equity incentive compensation, and ESOP advisory. Jonathan received his Bachelor of Arts degree in economics from John Hopkins University. Jonathan, welcome to the show. Hey, Anthony. Thanks very much for having me on. It's a pleasure. So really excited to have you. We have a lot of very motivated engineers that listen to this show, millennials that are wanting to become owners and partners in companies, and that's their goal. 
And so I'm really interested in talking about this topic with you. For those of you listening, Jonathan wrote an article on Rusko Brian Guido's website, which I'm going to link to in the show notes for this show. It was titled, Millennials, Please Don't Fail to Launch, talking about the opportunity that exists for a younger engineer to make that move to leadership or ownership. And, and a lot of times how you know we fail to do that. And so we're going to dive into that a little bit. And really, I'm going to ask Jonathan some questions to try to walk us through this process a little bit. So let's jump right in here, Jonathan. The first question that I want to ask you is, why is it important to getting ownership into the hands of younger employees with respect to the success of the firm? What I've seen in my career as an engineer is that some of these companies that want to hang on to the senior execs, just hanging on, hanging on to management and not starting to get these younger engineers involved, that could be a problem. But talk a little bit about that in general. That's exactly right. You know, unfortunately, for those who either procrastinate and don't do much in the way of planning, or those who aren't willing or ready to give up ownership or to make ownership available, those types of things can be a death knell for a firm. You know, from the perspective of our generation, the millennial generation, there's really been a shift from loyalty solely towards one's employer to, uh, to loyalty towards one's own personal and professional future and goals. With respect to ownership, so often the focus is only on what a company or current generation of owners can and should do to transition their ownership, really without much thought about the younger generation of owners' perspective towards ownership. That's a pretty big flaw of many engineering firm ownership cultures. We really want younger employees to understand that even though they're typically in a very different financial situation than that of their firm's leaders, Ownership in a privately held firm can, especially in the near term, potentially provide positive immediate benefits, such as having a greater ability to make decisions, being privy to perks made available only to owners, and uh, receiving a return on investment with the added potential of uh, longer-term benefits, benefits that include things such as capital appreciation of the stock, and perhaps even a controlling stake in the company later down the road. So really for both sides, for both parties here, the, the current owners as well as the future potential owners, there's a lot of benefit in coming up with a plan in sort of making sure that the company in terms of wanting to really lock down its longevity, wanting to be a firm that operates into the future uh, seamlessly, that sellers know what to plan and how to start planning for the future and having buyers understanding what that entails and sort of, you know, what hook might be available and what potential benefits there might be for a millennial to stick around to be the future face and leadership of a company and not necessarily looking for the next opportunity two to five to seven to 10 years later down the road. So basically, I guess part of what you're saying there is a lot of these engineering companies are thinking more about today rather than tomorrow. Is that right? Oftentimes, that is the case. You'll see someone who's leading a firm and things are going well, and it may be a sole ownership, there may be a small group of owners, and times are good, or maybe times were bad as they were very recently with the design recession, and now they're turning for the better. And so rather than sort of focusing on that ownership succession, they're just looking at sort of how things are going well and swimmingly today without really keeping an eye on the future of the company and what can happen. As I briefly mentioned earlier before, is you might lose the interest of people who were excited about the potential of being there because 
For example, you might not have communicated what ownership uh, opportunities might exist in your firm. It's a great way to, to retain key people. And as we all know, retaining key people, especially in the engineering sector, is extremely important. Engineering firms' assets are truly their people. And so that retention of key people is paramount here in terms of having a company that can go forward into the future with both good growth and strong profitability. It's such an important point. I have the opportunity to coach a lot of very motivated younger engineers, and I just see too many times where they get to a point where they feel like you know they, they're not getting enough responsibility, they're not giving us avenues to advance themselves. The company is not recognizing that this person is capable of more and they're not giving he or she the opportunity to kind of flex their muscles. And I think that this is a problem and this is why a lot of engineering companies lose really motivated individuals. So kind of to that end, going into this next question here that I want to get into is, so if I am a millennial, I'm a younger engineer, I'm I'm aggressive, I want to be an owner, what should I maybe be asking or talking to my company about with regards to being an owner? What do you recommend there? Both observationally and anecdotally speaking, millennials are too often in the dark about ownership. When we talk to, when we ask younger non-owners about the significance of ownership, we normally hear responses that reflect a good amount of introspection and curiosity about the potential of becoming an owner. And this is really a great positive signal because with that type of sign of interest, both the company and the potential owner or owners alike can forge ahead towards a path of getting a transition in place. This isn't to say, however, that the absence of that type of introspection or curiosity is a negative. Rather, it's just an opportunity for a company in its current ownership to provide an education about ownership, to understand its uh, younger generations, what its second tier or, or subsequent tiers might be thinking about, what sort of concerns they might have, sort of how to gauge their interest better. But in either of the cases I just mentioned, speaking specifically about the types of questions millennials need to ask, I'd say very broadly, what does ownership mean at my firm? You know, does it allow for my input in driving the direction of the company? Uh, Does it mean that I'll have some sort of a voice at the table? You know, for some employees, that sort of increased uh, authority and, and visibility as a leader is all it takes to get them excited about signing on the dotted line. Others, however, might care more about what sort of implications to their finances might be. And they might just view ownership as a means to an end, and that end being greater financial rewards. So we really like to start focusing by understanding what ownership means. And that's going to be really a culturally based question. I think certainly you might see similarities amongst firms, but every single firm is really going to have its own fingerprint as to what ownership is. Another question we might recommend asking is, what's going to be expected of me as an owner? You know, you might have an employee who thinks, you know, I'm a highly competent engineer. I love working with staff, both junior and senior staff. I get excited about developing relationships, maintaining ties with our current relationships. And I take pride in ensuring projects that I'm uh, PMing are profitable. But what elements of those things that I do on a day-in, day-out basis are going to be tied directly to my ownership? You know, and that type of question you'll see, and most people do, falls under the broader umbrella of quote-unquote management responsibilities. So really having these responsibilities or these expectations defined up front is crucial. And really, I think the next one, and a lot of people might argue about where this should fall 
in the order of types of uh, and sort of what's most important for someone to ask, what I've noticed is that the greatest concern to millennials uh, who are seeking ownership is what's it going to cost me and how am I going to pay for it? I know I think gone are the days where you, you go to college, you get your degree and you start a job and you can sort of envision yourself in that job within the same company in that neighborhood for the next 40 years of your life. Things are a little bit different now. And because of that, uh, price is always something on the minds and hearts of potential owners. The price of ownership, how it's going to be funded, those types of things and how they relate to, do I buy a house? Do I buy a car? I have two children who are going to be in college in 10 or 15 years. Those types of issues uh, make it sort of even more, more important to understanding the finances behind this. So really starting with the cost of ownership, a potential owner needs to know how his or her company values its shares. I can't stress enough how important it is to understand how your firm goes about its valuation. Is a, there a formula that's based off of a multiple of book value? Does the valuation formula take into account a wider variety of financial factors, including, for example, revenue and profitability? Or even better yet, does the firm have an independent valuation done on an annual basis for the explicit purpose of determining share price? But what's at the crux of the matter in terms of knowing how a firm values its shares is plain and simple. Sellers don't want to leave money on the table, just as buyers don't want to overpay for an asset. So once that uh, the topic of valuation has been broached and there's a stronger understanding of the concepts of valuation of the firm, usually the next set of questions are really more about uh, how is this going to be financed. And some of the broader questions that should be asked regarding that include, will there be additional compensation to help pay for the cost of ownership? Will there be payroll deductions? Is there going to be a cut of my paycheck that goes towards helping me cover the cost of ownership in the firm? What if the company has a bad year or multiple periods or years of less than ideal performance? What does that mean? What does that mean for the stock price? What does that mean for my purchase obligations? So those are the types of questions I think uh, we generally recommend asking upfront. You know, you have to know what ownership means at the firm. You have to know how you're going to be expected to pay for the ownership. And you have to also know what the firm's going to expect of you as an owner. It's really enlightening to hear you, especially talk about those last couple questions about financial side of it, because I can guarantee you that about nine out of 10 engineers that I talk to or coach want to become a partner in an engineering firm. But I can also probably guarantee you that nine out of 10 of them have no idea how the company values their shares. Right has never even thought about that. So it's, it's very interesting to hear you talk a little bit about that. And those of you out there listening, if that's you, if you're that person saying, I want to be an owner in this firm, you've got to get to the bottom of some of these things, it sounds like, pretty quickly. Because just thinking about some of the things that Jonathan just said makes me think like, geez, ownership might not be the greatest thing in the world, depending on the answer to all these questions. That is an excellent point. And to that end, if I could provide just a few more specifics off the top of my head regarding that financing, you're, you're exactly right. You know, engineers, you being an engineer, I'm sure you're very comfortable with numbers and models and could understand very easily, if presented to you clearly, what the financial ramifications of ownership might be. But specifically, a lot of people don't have an idea of timing or schedule of stock sales. You know, does the company want me to buy? 2% a year over the next five years? Does the company want me to purchase larger blocks 
less frequently? Will I be purchasing these shares directly from the company? If there's a note, and generally there, there will be a note, what's the number of years on the note? What's the interest rate? Am I expected to pay a down payment, for example? How large of a down payment? So there are numerous questions regarding the basics of sort of the mechanics of financing ownership, as well as understanding what the value is. You made a comment earlier about is ownership a great opportunity or is it not as golden an opportunity as it may appear to be? And that's why having a valuation done and understanding the drivers of value in the firm can be so important. You might have the best opportunity in the world, an opportunity that might never present itself to another person ever again because a firm, for whatever reason, is horrendously undervalued. The flip side is buy-sell agreement or sort of the annual valuation done or, you know, regardless of what sort of the method in understanding that value is, might not be relevant and it might not, might be a little bit stale. Somebody, a firm might rely on a valuation done in 2005. And we all know that a lot of the determining factors of firm value are a lot different today than they were prior to the recession. And so the relevance and the accuracy and appropriateness of the valuation might not be there. And so somebody might have a number unfortunately run into situations where, you know, when a firm was 150 people and over nine offices in the country valued itself at, let's say, $10 million internally. I'm just picking a number out of the air and and please don't anyone try to do a back of the envelope calculation to figure out how much your firm is based on on some of those parameters. But you know that firm today might only be a hundred people and, and across three three offices, but the amount of revenue it generates might be significantly lower than the percentage reduction in its headcount. So there are a variety of factors that go into this, and that type of firm unfortunately might be overvaluing itself based on factors that are no longer relevant uh, in today's market. That's great. Again, I just appreciate you going through this stuff. When you think about engineering ownership or partnership in an engineering company, I think immediately people think, you know, I'm going to be making a lot of money. That's where I want to be. And listen, in some cases, that certainly may be true, but I think all these other factors need to be looked at and really investigated. I think that a lot of people that are going to listen to this probably haven't thought of that, just like I haven't even thought of that. But one of the questions, Jonathan, that I I just would ask you if it's an okay question to ask, in addition to the ones you've listed here, is what is it going to take for me to become an owner? That is a great question. When you look at it from the perspective of an employee who is not yet an owner, understanding, and this ties slightly into what I mentioned earlier about understanding what the expectations are. But frankly, the burden should be on the company or on the and its shareholders, depending obviously on the size and structure of the firm. You know, it might be something a little, if you're talking about a sole owner run engineering firm, it might be a little more of a casual conversation over lunch with two or three select employees versus if you had a much larger and uh, let's say more sophisticated firm in which there was a, a, a plan and a, a method of, of transitioning ownership already place. But the fact of the matter is the burden really falls on the shoulders of the company, of the shareholders, to communicate clearly. That isn't to say, though, that a millennial or anyone who is looking to become an owner shouldn't pipe up. And too often, I think sometimes people, those who realize that ownership is something that might be available and are interested in it, are probably those who are already asking the questions or at least bringing it up. Regardless of 
whether or not they know which questions to ask, what questions they should be asking, they have likely brought that subject up with the appropriate parties. But there are people out there who don't realize that ownership is, uh, it might be available. It's ownership is something in the cards and they haven't really given much thought. They're looking at their portfolio of investments and they're looking at their, their 401k, their single stocks, maybe real estate, whatever else makes up their overall portfolio, not realizing that you know, there is a tie, a very strong tie generally between leadership and ownership and thinking, I don't think I can become an owner. You know, I looked at my, my uncle who became a partner in his firm at the age of 50 and I don't hear anyone else around my age talking about ownership. And so those might be some of the reasons somebody might not uh, broach the subject. And that's really why the discussion of ownership needs to be brought up. It's really a top-down discussion. Obviously, expressing interest is a great first step, but uh, this is sort of an investment, right? And so if you were to talk to your broker and your broker had an investment, I understand this isn't a perfect parallel, but your broker is going to want to show you a prospectus and explain to you what the investment entails and sort of walk you through why it's a good investment and how it might fit in. And very similar to that sort of approach, an owner in a firm, a current shareholder, or an ownership committee of a firm needs to make sure that it's identifying, first of all, the right people, and then communicating to those people what this opportunity might be about. Yeah, I think it's really important because I think that a lot of engineers don't realize that some of these companies have pretty, I don't want to say strict rules, but they do have some guidelines for ownership. And it could be, you know, you have to bring in a certain amount of work or you have to do certain things. And the earlier you know that, then obviously you can start to do some of those things or at least line yourself up and maybe adjust some of the things you're doing. So I definitely think it's important to try to ask that question early. I mean, listen, like Jonathan said, I mean, at a minimum, it's going to show them that you're interested. I'm sure they're going to keep that in the back of their mind, but then if they they may lay out the steps for you, which would be great. And that would kind of cut out a lot of the, make it really clear on where you have to go from there. So that's exactly right. And one other thing, it provides, whether it's an ownership committee or whether it's a shareholder, it provides them with a gauge as to who is interested here. You know, uh, if you're going to come up with a plan and you think you have a tier of potential owners of 10 or so people, you may be surprised to learn that of the 10, only three are interested. You might be surprised to learn that not only are those 10 interested, but they know other people in the firm who are interested. And that's kind of why starting the discussion from the top down is so important. I agree 100%. All right, let's go on to the last question that I got here, and then we'll jump into the Take Action Today segment. What are some things, Jonathan, about ownership kind of in general that some of the young millennials may not be aware of or might make wrong assumptions about? It's a great question. Starting with what an owner may not be aware of, I'd say learning about the financial rewards is often a pleasant surprise for somebody who's not an owner. Now, sometimes a potential owner might view ownership as a means of just diversification or just merely a badge of honor without a fuller appreciation for the financial side of things. But the fact of the matter is returns on investment, especially in terms of dividend payments, are far higher than returns on other types of common investments, such as publicly traded stock or or real estate. If someone being considered for ownership took a look at the risk associated with investing in a publicly traded engineering firm, that person would very likely understand that that risk is or should be lower than the risk associated with investing in his or her own firm. 
But does that person realize how material that difference might be? And if so, how that sort of material difference in risk translates into terms of the return on investment. So the return on investment in a privately held firm, in your engineering firm, can far exceed returns you're going to find anywhere else in the public market. I'd have to say, uh, in terms of misconceptions, that most misconceptions really stem from differences between company cultures. And what I mean by that is, until an employee's really been given a full rundown of what ownership entails, anything he or she has picked up from any outside source may or may not be applicable to that person's specific situation. For example, a company car may or may not be available. Distributions may be paid quarterly, they might be paid annually. Like you mentioned earlier, for example, a revenue threshold is often tied to sort of that criteria in terms of making someone an owner. Is that the case in your firm? You know, the list, as you can imagine, goes on for quite a while, and it's only limited to one's imagination, which is really why these types of misconceptions exist in the first place. I would venture a guess and, and say that people probably have more misconceptions than understandings of the truths about ownership in their firm than not. Very similar to, you know, somebody not understanding or, or thinking they have an understanding of what the person in the, in the cubicle or the office next to, to them makes in terms of salary or, or, you know, in terms of whatever else go, that runs through the mind of an employee, there are generally more misconceptions than realities. And, and so understanding that until your culture, until the culture of ownership is spelled out for you, until it's been clarified and you've had a discussion going over what that ownership, what the definition of ownership should be or is at your firm, uh, that you're likely to, to not have as strong a grasp on the realities of ownership as you should. Really interesting. All right. Well, Jonathan, listen, this has been extremely informational. And I'm going to ask you to stick around for two more minutes and we'll get into our Take Action Today segment to wrap this up for the, for the listeners. Certainly. So much information here about things you need to think about ownership when you're not necessarily that close yet, things you want to ask early on, right? To understand what's going to be expected of you. What does being an owner mean in this firm? What does it cost? And, and the whole valuation of the company, all that stuff was like I said, really informational. Now what we're going to do is we're going to jump into the Take Action Today segment of the show, try to wrap this up and maybe give you one question or one thing that you can kind of really take with you out of this episode and implement it into your career. All right, now it's time for our Take Action Today segment of the show. And I still have my guest, Jonathan Vocal, with me here today. We're talking about ownership of an engineering firm and what you need to know. We just gave you a ton of information in the main segment. But now what we want to try to do, as we always do in the Take Action Today segment, is call it down to kind of one thing that you should really be thinking about. So before we jump into this, I'd like to offer a quick word from our today's episode sponsor, PPI. Our listeners often ask what exam prep materials or review courses they should use when preparing for the FEP or SE exam. Hands down, we recommend PPI. If you plan to take your exam soon, we have a special promo code for listeners of our podcast. Use promo code COACH for a 15% off of your order at ppi2pass.com forward slash coach. Again, that's PPI, the number two, pass.com forward slash coach. And use the promo code COACH at checkout for a 15% discount on your order. PPI's mission is simple. They want to help engineers pass the FEP and SE exams and advance their careers. 
Quality is paramount at PPI. In fact, it is the driving force behind everything they do. With best-selling exam review materials developed by PPI founder Michael Lindeberg and other experts in the industry, they have been the source and solution for passing the FEP and SE exams for more than 40 years. To see how PPI can help you pass your exam and for special offers and discounts exclusive to our podcast listeners, visit ppipass.com forward slash coach. Again, that's PPI, the number two, pass.com forward slash coach. All right. So Jonathan mentioned a little bit earlier on in the main segment when he started giving some of the different things to think about with ownership that you should understand why you want to be an owner because it just becomes a common goal for a lot of engineers that they get into their careers and they just say, well, what do you want to do long term? Well, I want to be an owner of my company. It's kind of like the standard answer to that question. And especially after the information that Jonathan gave us here today, I think that if there's one question you want to ask yourself after today's episode, it's why do I really want to be a partner in an engineering company? Is it the finances? Is it because I want to really be a leader of this firm? I like the challenge. I mean, I think you really have to ask yourself that question because it sounds to me, Jonathan, that you know becoming an owner in an engineering company, is there's a lot involved with it and it's something that you really want to make sure that you want to do. That's exactly right. As you said, understanding, we can distill this down to one central concept, and that's understanding the motivation for being an owner. Once an engineer has taken sort of that introspection, once he or she has looked into the mirror and asked, why do I want to be an owner? I think the steps, the path towards becoming an owner become that much more clear. Understanding that if sort of the answers for why one wants to become an owner, then really jibe with uh, what the company or, or what the company's current ownership expects from a potential owner, then you're off to a great start. Then you're really ahead of the curve. And certainly planning ahead for both parties, for owners as well as potential owners, uh, is extremely important in, in making sure that the firm's going to have something that can move seamlessly regardless of what might be happening uh, macroeconomically. And another thing is sort of that communication. You know, the more transparent a firm can be about what being an ownership means, uh, the more you sort of help mold a potential owner's thoughts and help that person envision sort of not only what can they get out of ownership, but what can they bring as an owner. And those are the types of things you want to get people thinking about. Those are the types of actions you want to see people taking, because really that's the type of person, uh, for the most part, for I would say with certainly every single firm I've worked with, that's the type of mentality you want to see from most, if not all, potential owners. So really, it comes down to planning ahead. You know, Like you mentioned earlier, Anthony, what's going to be required of me? Does this mean I've got to deliver more revenue? Does this mean that I've got to manage more projects? Whatever the sort of that criteria uh, might be. And then that communication. And the communication comes from both sides. If you are interested in becoming an owner in your engineering firm, by all means, inquire. And if you are a firm who doesn't have a, a plan or mechanics for a transition in place, communicating that, communicating what sort of your expectations are, what you want to see out of the future generations of owners is only going to really put your firm in a better place to have that next generation of owners, that next generation of leadership. Awesome. Well, Jonathan, thanks again so much for joining us on the show. Great episode. I really appreciate all the information you came to share. Anthony, I really appreciate this opportunity. All right. I hope you enjoyed the episode today. We'd love to hear your feedback, comments, or any questions you might have. 
You can go to engineeringcareercoach.com forward slash millennials. Again, that's engineeringcareercoach.com forward slash millennials for this episode. We'll have the show notes there that will kind of give a summary of all the, the great points that Jonathan talked about today. And you can go to the bottom of the post in the comments section and you can leave a comment, a question. We'll definitely forward the post over to Jonathan so maybe he can answer any questions that we get. And we'll keep this conversation going. This is a huge, huge topic for motivated engineers, which are most of our listeners here on the podcast. I hope that this is something that you can really think about, thinking about the valuation of the company, thinking about why you want to be a partner and use all this as you move forward in your engineering career. Until next time, please continue to engineer your own success. Thank you for listening to the Engineering Career Coach podcast. Be sure to visit engineeringcareercoach.com where you can find all past episodes and also download a free three-part video series created specifically for engineers to help you best utilize LinkedIn for networking, improve your communication and speaking skills, and also to help develop your leadership abilities. Now is the time to engineer your own success.